0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox, and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course listen to the quiz at the quiz.fox. It's the media buzz meter with Howard Kurtz. We have a lot of serious stuff to get to on this Friday. Hope you have a good weekend coming up. And yes, we are actively working on Media Buzz for Sunday morning. But I'm going to start with Goldie Hawn. Why? Because I've always liked Goldie Hawn, going back to the days of Laugh-In. Some of you younger listeners may not have heard of that uh, comedy program. Uh, And, you know, many of the movies she's done since then. She is now revealing that she was once touched by an alien. Yeah, I had the same reaction. Um, She said this happened when she was in her 20s. She's now 77. How can Goldie Hawn... B-77, Um, she was living in California. She went outside her door. She looked up at the sky, at the stars, and said, are we the only planet in the whole wide universe that has life on it? She called out to any aliens who might be listening, saying she knows we're not alone. I'd like to meet you one day. Four months later, she's settling down for a nap in a friend's car. I don't know. Was she homeless at that time? Uh, she was working as a dancer. She heard a high frequency in her ear. She saw, I'm quoting here, folks, don't blame me, three triangular-shaped heads that were silver, tiny little nose, and a slash for a mouth. They were pointing at me. She says she couldn't move, but the aliens touched me, and it felt like the finger of God, the most benevolent, loving feeling. Well, since she was settling down for a nap in the car, maybe this was just a dream. Which might be the logical explanation, but, you know, good for Goldie for unburdening herself of this after half a century. Hey, remember I talked the other day about, you know, that tragedy that was averted when an off-duty pilot tried to shut off the engines in mid-flight? Not sure I mentioned a fairly key detail, which was... He later told police he was on psychedelic mushrooms, uh, had taken it 48 hours earlier, uh, as well as sleep deprivation, and he had other problems, too. And he's since been arrested. But Joe Emerson is his name. But my advice is, if you're going to fly a plane or drive a car, don't. Take psychedelic mushrooms. Psychedelic, I'm sorry. All right. You know, I'm still just ripped up over the largest mass shooting in the U.S. this year. The one in Maine, 18 people killed by a guy who was an Army reservist. And I'm still just furious That Maine, and I understand, like, Maine has a gun culture. A lot of people hunt there. That's fine. Nobody wants to take their guns away. But that there's no red flag law because the shooter, the alleged shooter, um, was committed to a psychiatric hospital for two weeks just this past summer, hearing voices. Wouldn't you think? Well, so they let him out and, you know, nobody knows he can get any gun he wants. And he bought or had an AR-15, which has been used in most mass shootings in the last few years. And you know what happened There's a Republican congressman named Jared Golden, and he has flipped his position. He says, yes, we should ban assault weapons. I was against it before, but now that it's happened in his backyard, he's for it. And there are other instances of this happening, too. Why does it take it happening in your congressional district for people to say, we don't need assault weapons? Now, I understand, you know, Second Amendment advocates say it's a slippery slope. Obviously, we once did have an assault weapon ban. Lasted 10 years. Congress let it expire. And it's not a panacea. A lot of this has to do with mental health. People are crazy. But it's just such a tragedy, all those lost lives. Um, Joe Biden has a presidential primary challenger. His name is Dean Phillips. Millionaire businessman, a Minnesota Democrat. He apparently is going to announce this today. Politico says it's such a long shot that some of his colleagues call it a vanity project. Other top Dems privately deem it a midlife crisis. Uh, But it also may be, says this piece, the clearest distillation to date of the undercurrent of discontent with Joe Biden among Democratic Party voters. Now, as I mentioned, he may want to do this in New Hampshire. Biden's not putting his name on the ballot in New Hampshire. But if he goes in other states and suddenly gets a sizable protest vote. Well, That may restart the chatter about whether or not the president is strong enough politically to win a second term. All right, story number one update you on the war, U.S. carrying out airstrikes today in Syria on facilities used by Iranian forces trying to ward off more attacks on American forces in the region. The Biden administration has sent more U.S. military resources to the Middle East. And this was a retaliation for frequent attacks against American forces over the past 10 days from militias in Iraq and Syria that basically are armed and trained by the Iranians. And Secretary Lloyd Austin saying this is these have been narrowly tailored because, look, Iran is, 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 you know, rattling the sabers and saying if this keeps up or if um, the Israeli bombing of Gaza keeps up, you know, we may have to get into it. So obviously the fear here, the concern, the worry that everybody in the world should have would be that this turns into a wider war. Now, I want to read from a column by Tom Friedman, Pulitzer Prize winner at The New York Times, three times, in fact. Because I think he knows the most about the Middle East of almost any journalist I can think of, and has a sort of a cold-eyed view of what's required. So, Friedman starts off this piece. If you care about Israel, you should be more worried than any time since 1967. Back then, Egypt, Syria, and Jordan all attacked Israel in what's now called the Six-Day War, Today, you'll see Israel is fighting the Six Front War. I'm not going to read all six fronts, but um, what he says is Israel cannot win this war alone. It can win only if Israel and the United States can assemble a global alliance. And here's where he uses his powers of analysis to talk about the Netanyahu government. Unfortunately, Israel today has a prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, and a ruling coalition that will not and cannot produce the keystone needed to sustain such a global alliance. That is to declare an end to the expansion of Israeli settlements in the West Bank and overhaul Israel's relations with the Palestinian Authority so it becomes a credible and legitimate partner that could govern Gaza if and when Hamas is toppled. But right now, you know, BB has followed a policy of expanding Israeli settlements in the West Bank. And there have been some people arrested there uh, during this war. You know, the more Israel says, well, we're going to take more of this land, which it occupied, West Bank and Gaza, as a result of the 67 war. Before 1967, Israel didn't have either of those territories. And in defending itself against the attack by those three Arab countries, it ended up claiming this land. So, you know, Freeman brings up the two-state solution. I think it's now farther away than ever, although, personally, I would love to see the Palestinians have a state and the Israelis have their country and some under some kind of peace deal. And asking people to look the other way or asking Palestinians to look the other way as Israel builds these settlements or a settlement kingdom in the West Bank, as Freeman puts it, with the express goal of annexation, is strategi- strategically, excuse me, and morally incoherent. It won't work. Israel fighting a full-scale war against Hamas in and around Gaza, in which we can now see Hamas still has so much residual capacity it was able to launch a seaborne attack on Israel earlier this weekend, fired off more rockets. It's terrifying, by the way, Tom points out, to see how many resources Hamas diverted to build weapons rather than trying to help the economy of Gaza. The Jewish supremacists in Netanyahu's cabinet, in order to win the, the office of prime minister this time around, he had to bring in some right-wing politicians, um, began to challenge the status quo on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, revered by Muslims. The Netanyahu government began taking steps to impose much harsher conditions on Palestinians. This is the first Israeli government ever to make annexation of the West Bank a stated objective in its coalition agreement. I don't think that will happen, but, you know, words matter. And then you have Hezbollah in Lebanon and Syria, Islamist militias in Syria and Iraq, another militia in Yemen, all of them launching drones and rockets toward Israel. So people who care about Israel and people who even think that Israel is absolutely right to retaliate after the horrible, and some journalists have seen the videos of this horrible, you know, shooting children and babies, desecrating bodies, taking hostages. Any country in the world would retaliate to prevent this from happening again. But can a wider war be averted at this point? It feels uncomfortably close. In fact, Israel has had to evacuate 130,000 of its own civilians from its northern border um, because of the battle with Gaza, even though it was felt... Well, I mean, Israel told Gaza to have their people, have the Palestinians, evacuate from the north of Gaza. And on the Israeli side, I did not realize this. There have been mass uh, evacuations as well. And then... You have the what Friedman calls progressive demonstrators, the liberal part of the Democrats in this country and liberals in other countries who think that all of Israel is just a colonial enterprise, not just the West Bank. And therefore, the Jewish people don't have the right to self determination or self defense. So. Iran is now threatening again to step up its military involvement through its proxies. And Tom concludes by saying it's a territorial dispute between two people claiming the same land, which needs to be divided as equitably as possible. Well, that's a great goal. Right now, to me, it seems further away than ever. Meanwhile, Nikki Haley is taking some flack from conservative pundits and online folks for saying the following. Uh, She wants to crack down on speech involving Israel, right here in the U.S. of A. Um, Presidential candidate ramping up her rhetoric by saying that she wants to change the federal definition of anti-Semitism to include... Denying Israel's right to exist. Uh, Haley saying you can you can't fight anti-Semitism if you can't define it. Joe Biden and the left refuse to call anti-Zionism anti-Semitism. As President, I will change the official federal definition to include denying Israel's right to exist, and I will pull schools' tax exemption status if they do not combat anti-Semitism in all of its forms and according to Uh, accordance with federal law, adding that college campuses, yes, of course, are allowed to have free speech, but they're not allowed, she says, to spread hate that supports terrorism. Well, of course, first she'd have to get elected to carry this out, but some on the right and maybe elsewhere are viewing this as an unconstitutional, unconstitutional infringement of free speech. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, a very related story is is number two. The Democratic Party's years-long unity behind President Biden is beginning to erode Uh uh-oh, over his steadfast support of Israel in its escalating war with the Palestinians. With, says the piece, this news analysis in the Times, a left-leaning coalition of young voters and people of color, showing more discontent toward him than at any point since he was elected. Now, I know, of course, what's happening on college campuses, and I know... um, the far left of his party, the squad, you know, rooting for the Palestinians, not fans of Israel. But this piece really makes a broader case from Capitol Hill to Hollywood, in labor unions and liberal activist groups, on college campuses and in high school cafeterias. A raw emotional divide over the conflict is convulsing liberal America. While moderate Democrats and critics on the right have applauded Biden's backing of Israel. He faces new resistance from an energized faction of his party that views the Palestinian cause as an extension of the racial and social justice movements in America. Liberal Democrats are demanding that Biden break with the American policy, which has basically been the American policy since 1948, and call for a ceasefire. Well, we can debate the merits of a ceasefire, It seems to me that it just constrains Israel from fighting back against Hamas and trying to destroy Hamas. Any country on the planet would want to destroy a terrorist group that conducted such unspeakable atrocities on its people. But coming back to what the Times says, we don't really know what the political power is of these Israel skeptics or critics, Biden already struggling with low Democratic enthusiasm. We just saw a Gallup poll that has him down to 37 percent again. And part of that poll was taken during the Israel-Hamas war, which I thought, you know, which I think the president is handling very well, offering rock solid support to Israel. Military aid coming soon now that the House is back in business. Um, and I think most Americans support Israel, our only ally in the Middle East, and our only, the only democracy in the Middle East, but not all. And it's the left-wing faction of the Democratic Party. Problem for Biden is he can't afford to lose much more Democratic support. Given the economy and everything else, I'll come back to the economy later in this podcast. So also, as the Times story points out, He is confronting an issue that has no easy middle ground. You know, most controversial issues that can be compromised. What should the tax rate be? What should the capital gains tax rate be? Uh, How much money should we give to this or that program? How much more money should we send to the border for tighter security, uh, given the record-shattering crossings by migrants? But here, you either support Israel or you don't. You either want to cease fire or you don't. You either think the Palestinians, I should say Hamas, which of course controls the Palestinians in Gaza, are justified in mounting this surprise attack again with unimaginable atrocities towards civilians, families, children, babies, or you don't. And this dilemma is not going to go away. Story three, we're learning more about the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. He's kind of getting it from uh, both sides. So, as I mentioned, and now a lot of newspapers reporting as well, you know, uh, because he didn't get media vetting and because he became Speaker so quickly, uh, he's getting hammered certainly by Dems, many in the media, for conservative social views, uh, for being a leader or one leader of trying to overturn the 2020 presidential election. And now we have people on the far right who also aren't happy with the new speaker. After George Floyd's death in 2020, Congressman Johnson said that Floyd had been murdered And said that his, or suggested that his adopted black son was treated differently than his biological white son. I think it says a lot about Mike Johnson that he did adopt a black boy. And just as most people in America never heard of this guy, they didn't know this about him. And he said after watching the video, the infamous video of George Floyd... He said, and this is, again, you know, back in 2020, I was outraged. I don't think anyone can view the video and objectively come to any other conclusion, but that it was an act of murder. And I felt that initially, as everyone did, and it's so disturbing, and, you know, the underlying issues beneath that are something the country is now struggling with, and I think it's something we have to look at very soberly and with a lot of empathy. You know, what it's taught me is we now have four other children of our own. And my oldest son, Jack, ironically, this year is 14. And I've thought often through all these ordeals of the last couple of weeks about the difference in the experiences between my two 14-year-old sons, Michael being a black American and Jack being a white Caucasian. They have different challenges. My son, Jack, has an easier path. He just does. They're both handsome, articulate, really talented kids, gifted by God to do lots of things. But the reality is, and no one could tell me otherwise, My son Michael has a harder time than my son Jack is going to have simply because of the color of his skin. So, conservatives like the Daily Wire's Matt Walsh is calling these comments by Johnson a full-fledged endorsement of the left's racial narrative. It sounds like a lot of common sense to me. And... Although I didn't know much about the new speaker 48 or 72 hours ago, I have to say he seems to have a deft touch. For example, he was on Hannity last night. He was asked about the mass shooting in Maine. He says guns are not the problem. The problem is mental health. That's sort of the standard Republican position. He was also asked about his opposition to same-sex marriage. And there were some, you know, I read some of those quotes on yesterday's podcast, if you want to check that out, um, where Mike Johnson was saying this was back in the early 2000s, that, you know, if we allow people of the same sex to marry each other, uh, you know, what's next? They could marry their pets. uh, Polygamists can marry as many people as they want. Asked about it last night on Fox. He said, look, the Supreme Court has ruled on same-sex marriage. That, of course, was in 2015. And as a constitutional lawyer, I accept the ruling of the court and we should move on. That was smart not to get into that fight. Very uh, savvy on the part of Johnson. But so, you know, he doesn't have a lot of experience. As I said yesterday, doesn't, has never chaired a committee, never met Mitch McConnell, never met Chuck Schumer. And now he has all these problems going to be piled upon him. Here's a piece. Um. In national review saying he had the fewest enemies wasn't suspected of knifing any of the prior candidates so he made it look easy after the chaos Uh, Johnson is a talented man and staunch social conservative so this is a plus if you're writing for the national review audience Um, if his pitch perfect speech the one he made after winning the gavel um, is any indication he's a gifted communicator with a light touch That will make it difficult for Democrats to demonize him. That's my initial impression as well. Yet, says the magazine, he has very little uh, leadership experience in Congress. He has an enormous political, legislative and fundraising challenge against uh, ahead of him. Excuse me. He may well rise to it. But there's a reason that well-functioning congressional parties don't make a practice of tapping untested commodities for such important roles. Also, his conduct after the 2020 election, National Review says, is a black mark on his record. He was also a leader in the foolish and destructive effort to object to Biden electors. By the way, also in the hand the interview, I believe, um, Speaker Johnson was asked about the Biden impeachment effort, which Kevin McCarthy had authorized without a vote of the full House. And he says, well, we're going to follow the facts where we lead And it looks like it's leading to pretty serious stuff. So he sort of was lending um, the weight of his new office to the impeachment inquiry of President Biden without uh, appearing to prejudge it. So um, finally, National Review says, you know, Johnson has been very skeptical of uh, funding uh, Ukraine in the awful and bloody war with Russia. But he sounded a little bit more... He's made a little... He's said things like, we can't let Russia win. And so maybe there's some room for compromise there. Uh, He'll get a honeymoon period. But, you know, basically he's going to send... He's going to face the same problems as Kevin McCarthy. The Speaker is dead. Long live the Speaker, says National Review. Hopefully for more than nine months this time. All right, number four. You know... We just got some pretty good economic news. U.S. economy in the last quarter, the third quarter, rose at an annual rate of 4.9%. The reason spending by families, businesses, and government accelerated, even though interest rates are rising, so it costs more to borrow money. Uh, Washington Post says the economy's resilience is the product of a strong job market, extra pandemic savings and makes it possible for people to keep spending even though we still have the inflation problem, not as bad as it used to be, and as I said, rising interest rates. Government hired 214,000 people between July and September. And the reason I'm bringing all this up is every time there's bad news on the economy, it's always a big story. Oh, inflation has doubled. Oh, gas prices are rising. Not minimizing that at all. Grocery prices have been rising, too. But when the economy grows at almost 5% annual rate, that's pretty good news for the Biden administration and their um, advocacy of Bidenomics. And Washington Post says it's kind of remarkable, using that word, that the economy is growing so strongly, at least right now, while the Federal Reserve is trying to cool the economy down because it wants to get inflation under control. Remember all that debate about a infl- uh, recession was coming? And yes, we did technically meet the definition of recession, two quarters of negative growth. But the big, bad recession that many, you know, top economists have warned about doesn't seem like it's going to happen. I mean, things could change, but not with this growth rate. And yet, this is sort of the same problem he has on the Middle East. Recent CNBC poll Biden's ratings on handling the economy, 32% approval. Uh, Biden saying, I never believed we would, bring, we would need a recession to bring inflation down. And today we saw again, the American economy continues to grow even as inflation has come down. And he said this in a statement. Uh, obviously, he's busy, extremely busy with the Middle East. You know, there's also the uh, UAW strike, uh, United Auto Workers settling with Ford, And now probably have momentum to settle with the other two uh, major American manufacturers. That's good news. Remember when Biden went to the picket line and everybody freaked out because the president had never done that. To stand with picketing workers. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. And finally, number five on this Friday. To end on a somewhat lighter note. The author of this Atlantic piece writes... The man I am looking at is very hot. He's got that angular hot guy face, hollow cheeks, and a sharp jawline. I haven't checked my jawline lately. His dark hair is tousled, his skin blurred and smooth. But I shouldn't even bother describing him further because this man is self-evidently hot. Don't worry, there's a larger point to this. The kind of person you look at and immediately categorize as someone whose day-to-day life is defined by being abnormally good-looking. This hot man, however, is not real. He's just a computer simulation, a photo created in response to my request for a close-up of a man by an algorithm that likely analyzed hundreds of millions of photos in order to conclude that this is what I want to see. A sculptural man in a denim jacket. Let's call him Sal. Sal was spun up by artificial intelligence. One day last week from my home in L.A., land of the hot people, uh, I opened up the Bing image creator, that's Microsoft, and commanded it to make me a man from scratch. I did not specify the man's age or any of his physical characteristics. I only asked if he rendered looking directly at the camera at sunset and let the computer decide the rest. Bing presented me with four absolute smoke shows, four different versions of Sal, They looked like casting options for a retail catalog. Uh, Sal is an extreme example of a bigger phenomenon. I've talked a little bit about this. When an AI image generation tool, like the ones made by MidJourney, Adobe, she mentions a couple others, is prompted to create a picture of a person. That person is likely to be better looking than those of us who actually walk the planet Earth. To be clear, not every AI creation is as hot as Sal. I've reviewed more than 100 fake faces of generic men, women, and non binary people made to order by six popular image generating tools and found different ages, hair colors, and races. One face was green eyed and freckled, another had bright red eyeshadow and short bleach blonde hair. Some were bearded, some were clean shaven. They had one thing in common, though aside from skewing young, most were above average hot, if not drop dead gorgeous. None, here we now, none, was di- uh, downright ugly. So why is this? Well, she did some research, or the author did some research, excuse me, and came up with various explanations. One is hotness in, hotness out. You know, they're looking at all these images on the web and social media to learn how to generate these pictures. And... The images they see online are likely to be biased in favor of attractive faces. Also, um, because if you're looking at airbrush photos of celebrities, advertising models, and other professional hot people, that skews the sample as well. And as far as, you know, ordinary people putting up their pictures, which you can now edit with Google and, you know, substitute a smile for a frown and that sort of thing. I think this whole thing is out of control. I do not like it Um, because we tend to post the best photos of ourselves. How true is that? At times enhanced by apps that smooth out skin and whiten teeth. AIs could end up learning that even folks in candid shots are unnaturally attractive. Now, I suppose on one level, all this is harmless. You want to create your own hot guy or hot woman. With computer tools, you know, have at it. Have a lot of fun. But in a deepening sense, I just feel like we're moving toward an environment at an incredibly rapid speed so that even, you know, dumb laymen at home can do this. It's no longer just the province of computer scientists. where We're not really sure if what we're seeing is real. I mean, this might obviously have an impact on politics, on world events. People will believe what they see because, you know, who are you going to believe? Me or your lying eyes. But if all of that is airbrushed, um, made up, fictionalized, and otherwise enhanced, I don't know. It just seems so unrealistic. It's not the real world. Everybody wants to look good in photos they post. And usually you do that by, you know, you look at five photos of yourself and you pick the best one. But now you can do even more creative things. Another word for this would be lying. It's deception. But maybe I'm the only one who feels this way. Maybe everybody else says, yeah, I want hot guys to look at. I am not going to indulge in this, but I will investigate it more further just to keep you posted. Once again, hope you have a good weekend. Media Buzz on Fox, Friday morning, 11 Eastern. And with all this going on in the world, we got a lot of work to do today. So I will now sign off, and I'll see you back here Monday with more Buzzmeter. Listen ad free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad free on Amazon Music. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.